It's Thursday, July 18th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, Jason Moser in the house. Thanks for being here. Hey, hey. Next week is my favorite week of earnings season. <laughs> and that is because nearly 700 companies are going to be reporting next week. That is a lot of companies. It's my favorite week, and it happens four times a year. So, I'm very excited about this. So, today we're going to talk about five companies that are reporting next week and what investors should be looking for, watching, whether it's a number, something out of management, you decide. And we'll start with Chipotle, which reports next Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, you look at Chipotle, you think that over the past year, I mean, what an amazing run this this stock has had. Um, I mean, it was just a little bit more than a year ago, I noted on Twitter that I trimmed my Chipotle position because it really felt like the road ahead was a long one. And when you get down to it, I mean, restaurants, generally speaking, don't have any serious, durable competitive advantages. I mean, it doesn't mean they can't be good investments, but you know, I mean, it, it, the risks with Chipotle were were there still, uh, particularly with uh, new CEO in place. But you know, I kept some of that position because I felt like there was an opportunity under the new CEO with Brian Nickel, and and I wanted to, to at least be a part of that, albeit a smaller part of that. Um, you fast forward to today, shares up around seventy percent. What's going on? Uh, I think that really. Brian Nickel has just taken this thing by the horns. I mean, he's gone on a national advertising campaign. And I think one of the most important things he's done, and he's done it very well, he's pulled Chipotle kind of off of that pedestal that Steve Eltz kept them on, right? With this whole, we are so much better than everyone else because our ingredients are sourced responsibly and ethically. And food with integrity. Right. I mean, we know how that all kind of worked out. And I mean, so they're a little bit less self righteous now, which I think is encouraging. But really, when you get down to it, when you look at their app, what they've done with their digital sales, what they've done with their loyalty program, I mean, that's something that they just could never even think about getting right, really, under Else's leadership. And under Nichols' leadership, they've, I think, gotten off to a really great start. The Chipotle Rewards program, as of last quarter, has 3 million enrolled. So, you know, looking forward to seeing what that number is this quarter. When you look at digital sales last quarter, they grew 101% from the quarter a year ago to represent 15.7% of total sales. So, so, those are the numbers I think that will ultimately really matter. It seems like they've done a good job of innovating the menu and making it a little bit different without throwing us all completely off course. But really, what they've done with the digital sales, the revamping of the restaurants themselves so that you can go in there and just pick it up from the station that they have, for example, I mean, it's really a much better experience than it ever has been before. Well, and at the time, one of the things we talked about was Chipotle's plans to essentially set up maybe not a second kitchen, but have dedicated staff for that digital sales. Yeah. And I think we sat in this room and said, okay, that's great if that works. And right now, you look at what the stock has done, it really seems like they've made it work. Yeah, it does. And I mean, it's it's always worth noting. I mean, the stock price is, the stock has just done wonderfully. I mean, you would look at that and think that everything is hunky dory. I mean, we always have to keep a little bit of separation there because, I mean, I have seen, you know, for example, on Twitter where, 
there there have been some less than stellar experiences with the pickup line still in some places. Uh, so I think there's always room to improve. But given that they own all of their restaurants, they control that experience. And I think that you know what they've been working to do. It's not like you just push a button and then all of that stuff is just implemented. But I think they've rolled this stuff out and implemented it fairly well uh, with a, with a workforce that is trying to you know introduce some new. Processes to the to their to their typical workday, um, definitely on the right path. And I mean, I really do feel like the rewards program is going to be something that keeps customers coming back for more. That really is a very powerful uh, tool once once you get it implemented. Facebook is going to report on Wednesday, and I feel like it almost doesn't matter what numbers they report. <laughs> I feel like this is all about the conference call. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, if you if you go back to the the fourth quarter call, which was at the beginning of this year, and you look at the four priorities that Mark Zuckerberg laid out, uh, they were to continue making progress on the major social issues facing the internet and their company, to build new experiences that meaningfully improve people's lives. Uh, and set the stage for bigger improvements in the future, to keep building their business by supporting the millions of businesses uh, that rely on their services, and then also to communicate more transparently with what they're doing uh, with their services and how that's affecting their customers around the world. You go just a quarter later then, and really the conversation is starting to to center more around privacy specifically, right? And we've got that that uh, sort of missive that he published in, in where he sees a future where Facebook is is focused more on privacy and less about that town square type of mentality, um, which is fine. I mean, I don't know that we've seen any real signs that that is happening. And you you go to today. I mean, we know that the uh, that FTC fine of five billion dollars is something that will probably get a little bit of attention on the call, but shouldn't get much because it really is ultimately meaningless to them. And now they're they're talking up this digital currency, which I mean, honestly, I'm still unclear fully as to what problem they're trying to solve because I mean, they use very abstract examples regarding the cost of transferring money and serving the unbanked and the underbanked and. I mean that's fine, but I mean, there are plenty of companies out there trying to crack that nut already and doing a pretty good job of it. It seems to me like they're in way over their head with this digital currency thing. And, and it, I mean, I don't know if you saw recently that thing where they were talking about how there was a Swiss bank that was going to, I, I guess, help monitor or oversee this new currency, and then. After they had announced that, like a representative of the bank said, we don't know what these people are talking about. We we haven't heard anything from them regarding this. So it just strikes me as I, I just don't. I, I call me skeptical when it comes to Libra and what they're trying to do there. I, I think they've got bigger issues to try to figure out, particularly regarding privacy. Um, but at the end of the day, it is Facebook and the the network effects in play there with as many people that use their services. That's really difficult to overcome, and uh, yeah, I suspect that regardless what the numbers are, the stock is going to be just fine because it's such a big company, and advertisers are going to keep flocking there to to throw more ads up. Also, reporting on Wednesday next week, we've got PayPal coming. Stocks up more than thirty percent in the past year. I'm a shareholder. Obviously, I'd like to. 
not going to complain if it goes a little higher on earnings. No. But what what should I be looking for? <laughs> well, as a shareholder myself, um, I, I think that it's you know we're looking for really any red flags. I think with a company like this, you really just want to focus on uh, any one or two things that perhaps give you pause, and you don't typically find it with PayPal. Uh, the the one noteworthy event here recently, and that COO Bill Reddy is going to be taking off by the end of the year. I mean, I'm more or less indifferent there. I think that uh, Dan Schulman, the CEO, is really uh, the, the one you want to keep keep the focus on, and he'll he'll still be there. But the metrics that matter with PayPal, I mean, you're talking about total payment volume in last quarter that was 161 billion, up 25 percent. Total transactions of 2.8 billion, which were up 28 percent from a year ago. They added 9.3 million new accounts. They now have 277 million total active accounts. So we want to see how those numbers continue to grow. Uh, always Venmo gets a lot of attention there. And and uh, it drove $21 billion in total payment volume uh, last quarter. They announced they had 40 million users. So we see how many more users they have with Venmo, uh, talking about that revenue run rate at about $300 million a quarter ago. I'm sure that probably uh, is a little bit uh, a little bit more optimistic this quarter, perhaps. Um, and then I think just a couple of things that they have done recently that will serve as drivers in the future. Remember, they made a big investment in Mercado Libre, about seven hundred and fifty million dollars there. And then, you know, we always go back to Zoom when it comes to PayPal. You remember, not not the video conferencing company, but the little the remittance company that that we loved for so long that PayPal just took right from us, Chris. <laughs> Didn't take it from me; took it from you. X O O M. You were the shareholder. Who yes. was angry. I was a little bit salty, but I'm getting over it because I still at least own those PayPal shares. But it really interesting. You don't sound like you're over it. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They actually just rolled out Zoom to 32 more countries across Europe now, with with the Zoom reaching 130 markets worldwide. And this matters because global remittance is is essentially a 700 billion dollar market. And you know, you go back to that Facebook Facebook Libra currency thing and trying to to help in the transfer of money. I mean, that's what Zoom. The very premise of the company is is the the low cost transfer with almost instant access. I mean, so you know, when you talk about Companies that were built to solve certain problems, that's what Zoom was built for. So I think I'd be a little bit more optimistic uh, when it comes to that company. But um, yeah, all in all, I mean, PayPal just continues to really impress. And and I I would just see if there were one or two red flags, but I don't expect any. It was four years ago this month that PayPal was spun out of eBay as a separate public company. I was checking this morning. And that's how I have shares of PayPal because I was a shareholder and still am a shareholder in eBay. PayPal, which I was optimistic about when it was being spun out, is now four times the size of eBay. Yeah. Are you surprised by that? Because I am. I'm not surprised it's doing well. I'm surprised that it's a $140 billion company in just four years. Um, I mean, it has grown fast. It's it's obviously grown very quickly. I mean, I'm not surprised from the perspective that finance in general is an attractive market because money's always changing hands. I think a time ago, there probably were some questions as to the user interface and how good PayPal really was. And then I think the real question was, are they going to be able to make this leap to mobile and really and really make hay out of that? It turns out that they they were definitely able to do that. And I think it was from a lot of different initiatives that they've taken. So I'm not surprised as much as I'm just really impressed and at the end of the day, as a shareholder, really happy about all of that. Two quick programming notes. First, as always, check out our other podcast, Industry Focus, Investing in Asia, which is our new weekly podcast. 
insights and observations from our man in Singapore, David Kuo, uh, and all of the Motley Fool podcasts. Check them out. They're free. Why not? They're free. I mean, the return on invested time there is just phenomenal. Yes. You know, I mean, you think about your time. We hope that's our goal. Listening to those shows. Hey, listen, man. I mean, I don't want to sound too cocky here, but I know. Right. I mean, I just know the reserve, the return on invested time for listening to our shows, it's up there. Uh, certainly, the return on invested money is up there because <laughs> they're free. Um, also, this weekend on Motley Fool Money, our guest, as I mentioned yesterday, is Tim Byers. Uh, this weekend in San Diego, Comic Con is going on. So, a very fun conversation with Tim about uh, what to look forward to and, of course, the battle for the living room. Two companies reporting next Thursday uh, Under Armour. And Boston Beer. Let's start with Under Armour. Uh, what are you, what are you going to be looking for out of their second quarter report? Yeah, I think Under Armour may be July thirtieth, but I could be mistaken. Oh, okay. We'll double check that. But regardless, earnings are coming up very soon. And with Under Armour, um, you know, we we go back to when we owned this stock in MDP a time ago, and we put it on hold when things were really uh, going to hell in a handbasket, so to speak. And we put it on hold with three particular markers we were wanting to see progress on. We wanted to see COO Frisk and CFO Bergman still on the team. We wanted to see their balance sheet become more a point of strength. And then we wanted to see North American sales stabilize and actually start growing again. Now, the first two are working out very well. I mean, Frisk and Bergman are still there playing very integral roles with the company. The balance sheet definitely is. Getting better. I mean, it's really a shame because they had a balance sheet that was really, really an asset and turned it into a liability with this with this inventory strategy that didn't work out. But but the balance sheet is getting better, and I think that the big question that still hangs out there is the North American sales. Um, last quarter, it was I think you know sales in North America were down three percent. Um, and to put that into context, I mean, Nike continues to chalk up seven, eight percent growth in the North American segment now. So they've been able to turn that tide a little bit. We need to see Under Armour be able to do that same thing. Um, and it's it seems like it's working, albeit very slowly. We know that international is a a big point of success for the company. They've been able to pick up some of the slack from North America, but they need to get that North American number back back in check there. And uh, you know, when you look at the the margins for the company. I mean, they were feeling a lot of pressure on margins because of the discounting, because of this bloated inventory. They've been able to whittle down that inventory surplus considerably and focus more on the premium and less on the cost cutting. So while that might limit their overall market opportunity in the near term, I think it certainly makes the business a more profitable one. Um, and so really would just be paying attention to that North American number and any language in the call regarding it. Uh, you're right. It is going to be on July 30th. So my bad. Apologies for that. Um, that's when Under Armour is going to be coming out with their second quarter report. Um, you know, if the stock has another, if the next twelve months for this stock are like the last twelve months, I'll be, I'll be pleased. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a shareholder, I'm, I'm with you, man. It's it's been a it's been kind of a, a you know frustrating time with this company. I mean, it's it's clearly a brand that still holds some sway out there. But but yeah, it just they had a strategy, it didn't work out. They're trying to recover from it, and it seems like slowly but surely they're getting back. Boston Beer second quarter comes next. But this has been a really you look at the last year and a half for Boston Beer, uh, parent company of Samuel Adams. It's been it's been really good because prior to that, 
Boston beer had a rough few years. Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. I mean, it has it has covered both ends of the spectrum there with with no really sort of happy ground. I mean, it always felt like shares were a little bit overly punished when those depletion numbers were were uh, falling. And I mean, now it really does. I mean, for all of all of the good things that the company's done, I mean, it really does feel like the stock is is way ahead of itself. But I mean, you know, you can't complain. I mean, they they were in a in a period of time where they could not get those depletions numbers up going in the right direction, and ultimately that just refers to how much beer they're selling. And uh, now they are, you know, forecasting somewhere between eight percent and thirteen percent depletions for this coming year, um, which is good. And and I think the the key point to note with this company right now, though, is that most of the success. Is still coming from the seltzers and the angry orchards and the twisted teas of the world. They are still really having a hard time getting that Samuel Adams brand into beer drinkers' hands. And a part of that is because there's so many options out there. Um, and part of that is just because I, th- I think that, you know, Boston Beer, they, they sort of fell behind on the innovation side. They certainly missed the IPA train early on. And, and that was basically due to Jim Cook saying he didn't like the taste of an IPA, so he just didn't want to make them. Well, a lot of people out there love them. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, you had companies that started really putting out a lot of flavorful IPAs that took away from those Boston beer sales. Uh, now, what what they've done recently, and we we've talked about this before, this big merger with Dogfish Head, and I think that's going to be something we'll get a little bit more clarity on the call as to what they want to do there. I think that's probably a better deal for Dogfish Head than it was for Boston Beer, just because I think Dogfish Head was running into a little bit of a situation regarding some some debt that was coming due, and and I think Dogfish Head is still a pretty small operation. You just kind of had to wonder how far they could take it. Now they're going to be plugged into Boston Beers. Production and distribution, which I think will help. And going back to the IPA conversation, Dogfish Head is a very IPA heavy catalog. And so there's not a lot of overlap between the two companies. So that's good. Um, I think it's probably a merger that works out well. I do still think the stock is a bit is a bit uh, frothy, so to speak, but, but uh, it's a good business. There's no question there. The market cap for Boston Beer is about $4.5 billion. Three years from now, do you think it is meaningfully higher than that? Because they've been on a great run, but as you said, there's a lot of optimism baked into that stock price right now. Yeah, I think the only I think the only way that this stock is meaningfully higher is if they're able to really show some traction. In the Samuel Adams brand, I think if a year and two years from now we continue to have questions about how the Samuel Adams brand is resonating, it's hard for me to understand why the market would keep paying up a premium. And I understand why the premium is today. I mean, um, but we need to see that turnaround, just like with Under Armour, and we need to see North American sales turning around. We need to see some signs of life with that Boston beer Samuel Adams brand. And you know, I, I I'm I'm kind of on the fence with that one. I, I, I they make good beer. Don't get me wrong. Just so many options out there, and that's not going away anytime soon. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fool. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.